Hey there, you are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast. I'm your host, Annette Jones, and this is episode number 50, The Stories We Tell. You are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast for women who want to find clarity of mind, create lasting emotional well-being and confidence, and achieve amazing potential. Come with me. This will be fun. everybody and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for listening today. This episode marks kind of a milestone. 50 episodes. I was kind of shocked that I'd done that many, honestly. I started this podcast almost exactly four years ago. And while I'm not as regularly consistent as other podcasters might be, I have really loved creating and learning and growing with all of you. I know many of you listening have been with me from the very first episode I put out, and I just wanted to say thanks for sticking with me. There's so much great stuff I want to share with you, and so I'm just going to keep rolling with it, and I hope you'll come along with me for the ride. I love all of you. I'm so grateful to have you in my world, and my goal is to continue to bring you ideas and tools that will help you not only work through your problems and your challenges, but also show you how to create a life you love. So the past couple months have been quite the whirlwind for our family. Life just doesn't stop for anything, does it? We're pretty excited about summer over here with a twinge of sadness, of course, since I've got my third kid graduating high school. I have no idea how this happened. I swear he was just starting kindergarten yesterday, (laughs) but he's ready even if I'm not. And I'm thrilled for the opportunities ahead of him. This is just such a cool time of life. So I wanted to begin this episode by telling you about a vacation that my family and I took a few months ago. Uh, My son, Nathan, who is the one getting ready to graduate in just a few weeks, is, um, like I said, number three of four kids, and he is really just the most low-maintenance, easygoing, sweetest kid I've ever been around, and I'm sure he'd just love that I use the word sweet to describe him, but it is true. He very rarely asks for anything. He's always willing to help out. He works really hard in school and just kind of quietly goes about his life without seeking attention or credit or praise or really anything else for that matter. Well, because he's this way, when Nathan does express an opinion or preference, boy, does it get our attention, because we know this must be something um, really important to him. So I overheard a conversation he was having with someone um, last summer about the, um, you know, the coming year being his senior year, and I think the subject of a senior trip came up, and this person asked Nathan if he could go anywhere in the world on vacation where he would choose. And Nathan said he would love to go to Hawaii. So knowing how rarely he asked for anything and how hard he'd worked all through high school, um, I talked to my husband and we decided that we really wanted to try to make this trip happen for him. And so we started planning and we had gone to Hawaii, um, the island of Oahu, several years before when our oldest had graduated high school. And we'd taken our trip in February because we could avoid the busy season, we could get better deals on flights and accommodations. And that timing worked really well for our kids' President's Day school break. We could get a full weekend without them missing much school at all. It had been perfect. Um, And instead of going to Oahu this time, we decided that we would go try Kauai because we'd heard a lot of great things about that. So we booked our flights, reserved an Airbnb, and told everyone in the family to mark their calendars. We were all so excited a few months ago when our much-anticipated trip finally arrived, but little did we know what awaited us. In fact, it's probably good we didn't know ahead of time. (laughs) Okay, so the first thing we did when we got off the plane was to go um, to the sh- get on a shuttle to pick up a rental car. And my husband went immediately over to get in the very long and very slow moving line while the rest of us waited outside and made friends with the local chickens. They were everywhere. 
Um, well, we waited and waited and waited for over an hour and a half. We stood outside that car rental place, tired and hungry, until finally we saw my husband walk out to where we were supposed to pick up our car. Well, we lugged all of our bags and suitcases to wait for the Suburban that we'd rented. We had seven full-size people plus luggage, so we were really counting on that Suburban. And we waited and waited again until we finally saw a big, new, beautiful Suburban pull up to the curb. But we soon found out that wasn't our Suburban, <laughs> as we watched as three adults and one little baby loaded up into that huge car and drove away. Then we saw our car. Yes, it was an SUV, not nearly as big and roomy as a Suburban. It wouldn't even fit our luggage, let alone all the groceries we needed to pick up for our week on the island. Come to find out that Suburban we saw drive off was the last one they had available. And the person who got it had been one spot ahead of my husband in line. We'd missed it by literally a few seconds. So it was kind of frustrating that now we had to, we were stuck with this smaller, tighter, much less convenient car for the week, but whatever, right? Well, we headed out of the rental car place, picked up some dinner, stopped by Costco for some necessities, i.e. food, <laughs> and headed up the road for the hour-long drive to our destination with groceries and luggage strewn all over our laps. Well, we pulled in after dark, too late to do much of anything, and made our way up the stairs into the Airbnb to get settled for the night. The next morning, we headed out early for a full day of hiking that my husband had planned for us, but of course, we got off late, so we were rushing out the door with about half of us excited for the hikes and the rest wishing out loud that they could just go sit on the beach. Now, there's only one main road that goes around the whole island, and it was a long, slow drive. Not super fun for those of us who get carsick, but we finally made it and started on our first hike scheduled for that day. Well, as we would come to find out that week, Kauai happens to be one of the wettest places on earth which is the reason it's so lush and beautiful. And we happened to be um, visiting during one of their wettest years on record. Um, we also learned that with lots of precipitation equals lots of mud. And mud is very slippery. And so we spent most of that hike slipping and sliding and getting so muddy and dirty. And of course, because it was so slippery and we had to be more careful about our footing, that hike took much longer than expected. So our schedule was thrown off. There wasn't time to finish the other hike before dark. So much to the disappointment of those that were excited about the hikes, we opted for a scenic overlook instead and then headed back along that windy road toward home. Well, that afternoon, we also got word that the boat tour around the Nepali coast that we had scheduled for the next morning had been canceled due to possible bad weather conditions. And I was really bummed. That was one of the things that I'd heard amazing things about and had been looking most forward to. Well, the next morning, since our tour had been canceled, we made a quick breakfast and headed out to the beach. We spent a few hours there until it started to get cloudy and windy. Then we packed up and decided to get back on that long, slow road to go find some overpriced shaved ice. So the next morning, we were excited. We were scheduled to do a canal tube tour. We'd heard some really great things about this adventure, and this was the one thing that we were all really excited about. Now, we woke up to rain, but didn't really think it would be a problem because it was just a drizzle, and hey, it always rains in Hawaii, right? A little rain was not going to keep us from tubing down a canal. We were already getting wet anyway, right? Well, we got all our gear, we loaded up onto the bus, and were assured by our guide that these things hardly ever get canceled due to rain. This was one thing that wasn't really affected by the weather. So we kind of breathed a little sigh of relief, hoping he was right. Um, and we that we'd be able to do our tour as planned. But as we started up that dirt road to the top of the where the canal started, that rain started coming down harder and harder. And I really started to worry. Well, when we arrived, a couple of guys came over to the shuttle 
to let our guide know that actually the amount of rain they'd received in the last hour had made the level of the water in the canal rise so high that it was no longer safe to send tubes down. Of course, right? And so we had to turn right around and head back down that mountain. Another activity canceled. We were all really, really sad about that one. And the rain, it just kept coming down all day long. Pretty much our only option at that point was to go find another shave ice place and sit in the car to eat it. And as I took a little peek at my weather app, it looked like we were in for a lot of rain over the next few days. Well, the next day was Sunday. And of course, despite what the weather app had predicted, the sun was out and it was the most bright and beautiful day. The only thing on our schedule for that day, however, was church. And you can bet that some people in our group were not thrilled that the best weather of the week was on a Sunday. But the church meeting we were planning on attending didn't start until one in that afternoon. So we thought we could squeeze in a short, easy little walk slash hike nearby before making the trek down that long road back into town for church. But if we thought the hike a few days earlier was muddy, this terrain made that mud look like nothing. Even the most careful of us couldn't avoid the swampy trail and we all ended up with our shoes soaking wet and caked in this rusty colored mud that instantly stained everything it touched. Well, we made it to the waterfall destination of the hike and were about to turn back when my daughter noticed a little rope swing tied to a tree on the bank of the river. Now, being the adventurer she is, she thought this looked like great fun. So she and her husband and Scott, my husband, decided to take their chances on this rope swing, despite all of the signs along the trail warning about going swimming in the water due to a certain bacteria that was known to live in the local freshwater. Well, my son-in-law, Josh, went first, and his swing was flawless. He made it back to shore without a drop of water on him. (laughs) And my husband went next, and the same thing, he got back to shore unscathed. Well, it was my daughter's turn, and although she is very capable, she is also relatively short. Poor girl inherited her height from me, and when that rope swung back to shore, her legs were just a little too short, and the edge was just a little too slippery, and she wasn't able to stick her landing, which left her stuck hanging out on the rope swing directly over the water. So my husband went over to the edge to try to reach her, but as he as he reached his arm out, his feet slipped out from under him, and he just went straight in that river. And within a few seconds, my daughter's hand slipped off the rope and she ended up in that murky water right alongside him. And so both of them had to climb up this muddy slope and make the trek back completely drenched and covered in mud. And of course, all this craziness had made us late yet again. So we made a mad dash back to the house to shower and get ready. And eventually we found ourselves back on that long road into town with some members of our party still not thrilled that we were spending this sunny afternoon at church. Well, the next day, Monday, was our last full day on the island, and we were scheduled to go ziplining, and we were really hoping that it wasn't going to get canceled. The forecast was, of course, calling for rain and lots of it, but I was relieved when I woke up that morning and saw that the rain was actually coming a little later than predicted. And then I saw the text from my daughter that said she'd been up all night throwing up with what she assumed was food poisoning. I could not believe it, and I just started praying that she would feel okay this last day, that she'd be able to go ziplining with us and be able to enjoy our last day on the island. Well, she didn't feel great, but she was a trooper and decided to come along on that hour-long drive in hopes that she'd feel well enough by the time we got there to participate. So we're driving down this road, praying that she'd feel better, praying that the rain would be kept at bay for a few hours, when we encountered something we had not seen the entire time we'd been on the island. A traffic jam. A bad one. 
a really bad one and there was no way around no alternate routes nothing and at that point even my husband who is very even keeled and very level-headed started to get stressed out and we called the zipline place told them our situation and they said they couldn't wait for us they had to stick to their schedule and that they didn't have any other openings that day so if we didn't make it we were just totally out of luck well that was one of the most stressful drives we've had in a while but we did make it with literally seconds to spare Anna was able to do the zip line, but did not feel great. I felt so bad for her. And of course, as we made our way back to our Airbnb, the rain started coming down again. And once it started coming, it did not stop. We got back, had some dinner, and settled in to watch Jurassic Park since it had been filmed not far from where we were staying. Well, all night long, I listened to that rain come down, and I had the feeling that this did not bode well for our drive to the airport that mor- um, the next morning. And as we packed up and got ready to head out to the airport, our fears were confirmed. The torrential rain that we'd been listening to all night had flooded the road, and it had been closed off to all traffic on both sides. We were stranded. We'd been told that the road could open at any time, so we decided to take our chances and go wait in the long line of cars so that we could get through and get to the airport in time if the road happened to open. And so we parked in that line and waited and waited and waited and waited until finally the time had passed the point where we could even get to the airport in time, even if the road did open. So stressed out and discouraged, we decided the only thing to do at this point was to go get lunch. We went in search of a restaurant only to find that most of the people who worked on the north side of the island didn't actually live there and almost all of the stores and restaurants were closed due to the employees not being able to get to work. So we found a pizza place, which had over an hour wait on the orders because they were the only ones open. And we grabbed our pizza, headed back to the Airbnb. We'd been in touch with a manager and she said no one was coming in that day so we could stay the night if we needed to. Well, we got back, rebooked our flights, ate our pizza and prayed that the rain would stop so that the road would open the next day. Well, the next morning I woke up early to a text um, from my other daughter saying that she had been up sick all night. So guess it hadn't been food poisoning. <laughs> and at that point, we were all just ready to be home. Luckily, we made it across that road through a chaotic airport due to all of the canceled and rebooked flights the previous day and made it home around midnight that night, completely exhausted. Okay, so what do you think? Do you wish you'd been on that crazy vacation with us? There are even more gory details that I didn't have time to include, but you get the picture, right? What would you title this story? Trouble in paradise? Worst vacation ever? You could probably come up with some good ones, right? And told from this perspective, this trip really does sound pretty miserable. But as you might have guessed, this wasn't the whole story. There are actually some really fun, happy, and even amazing parts that I left out. Like the hilarious videos we got of those chickens at the car rental place. And my daughter, who had just come from blizzard-like conditions in Utah, just sitting and joyously soaking up the sun for those 90 minutes as we were waiting for our car. I didn't mention the delicious Hawaiian food we had for dinner or the incredible location of the cute and remarkably clean Airbnb we rented. Even when they have good reviews, you never truly know what you're going to get with those places, right? And those muddy hikes, they led us to some gorgeous views, some of the prettiest we'd ever seen in our lives. Our boat tour getting canceled gave us the chance to spend a whole day at the beach just steps away from the house we'd rented, which was what most of the family wanted to do anyway. And it ended up being the prettiest beach we saw that whole trip. And it was right outside of our doorstep. 
It was also the perfect beach for snorkeling, and we got to see some really cool fish and other creatures out there. We also decided to visit a shave ice place, a different shave ice place every day, and we found some of the best shave ice I've ever had. That was definitely a highlight for me. I love my shave ice, no matter how overpriced it is. <laughs> and that night, as we were driving to a beach to enjoy yet another gorgeous sunset, uh, my son got an acceptance letter to one of his top university picks that he'd applied to. And that was so fun that we could all be there with him to celebrate. And that canal tour that got canceled, those tour guides on the bus ride up were hilarious. They were a whole comedy show in and of themselves. Very entertaining. <laughs> they definitely lightened the mood and made the ride up worth it, even if we didn't actually get to two. And that afternoon, after all the, that rain, we were lucky enough to get a little bit of blue sky and again, spent a beautiful afternoon just hanging out together at our favorite beach, enjoying an amazing show in the sky of rainbows and sunsets. And that muddy walk to the waterfall on Sunday morning, it led to one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in my life. In fact, my son Nathan said that it was one of his very favorite parts of the whole trip. We named it the Garden of Eden because it was absolutely gorgeous. I wish I could show you pictures over this podcast. It was amazing. And of course, we all had the best laugh with the rope swing debacle. Luckily, everyone came out of that one unscathed. <laughs> and even though we were running late, we made it to church with time to spare. And we got to attend a really sweet sacrament meeting in the cutest little church building um, I've ever been in. And I think everybody had a really sweet experience at church. And after that, we got to spend a beautiful, peaceful Sunday afternoon together on that pretty little beach. And then we walked home and enjoyed a yummy dinner of steak, potatoes, and delicious Hawaiian pineapple. The next morning was rough, of course, with my daughter not feeling well, but prayers were answered in that she was able to tough it out and come with us, um, and that we miraculously made it to the zip lining tour just in the nick of time, and that the rain was held at bay until we were done. It literally started drizzling on our very last line of the day. I was so grateful because, again, that terrain was just breathtaking, and we got some really fun footage of that whole experience with my son-in-law's GoPro. And even though it got somewhat stressful when the road closed and we couldn't make our flights on time, we got to spend the whole extra day together in Hawaii. The pizza we had for lunch was some of the best I've ever had, and the manager of our Airbnb told us to go ahead and stay another night completely free of charge. We got to spend one more afternoon sitting on our favorite beach, and later that evening, the road opened back up, and we were able to go out and grab a few groceries, and then had another movie night all together watching RV, one of our family favorites. Luckily, the road stayed open, and we were able to make our flights the next day, and as a little added bonus, my kids' flights back to Utah had been canceled due to bad weather conditions there, so they got to spend a couple extra days with us in California before heading back to real life. So I was talking with my son Nathan about this experience and that I was going to share it in this podcast. And he asked, what are you going to call it? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And I laughed and thought, yeah, that pretty much sums it up, right? And looking back on that trip, if I focus on all the things that went wrong, it makes me never want to go on vacation again. But when I think about the fun we had and all the wonderful memories we made and all the funny little things that happened, all the best parts of that trip, it was totally worth it, and I would do it again in a heartbeat. So today's episode is a fun one because we're going to take a look at the stories we are telling ourselves about our lives, about our circumstances, about the people in them, about the things that have happened in our past, the things we believe about ourselves. We have so many stories that we are telling and living without even realizing it. And we generally aren't 
really aware of how these stories are impacting our decisions and the way we're showing up in our lives. When we are having problems, when we feel stuck or overwhelmed or anxious or frustrated or out of control in our lives, more often than not, it's because of the stories we're telling ourselves. Our stories are interesting because they stem from underlying beliefs that we might not even realize we have. When we tell our stories, we think we're just reciting facts. But we don't take into account that the way we experience those facts is because of the way we're personally interpreting them, what we are making them mean. So for example, if I have beliefs like, I just have bad luck, life is just full of disappointment, things don't really ever work out for me, then the story I would tell about my vacation would probably be some version of the first one I related to you, right? With all the, all the bad, terrible things that went wrong. But if I believe that the events of my life are working for me, not against me, or that even though everything doesn't go perfectly according to plan, life can still be beautiful and enjoyable and good can still be found, then I'd be more likely to tell the second version of that story. So we all walk around every day telling stories, whether in our heads or to other people, about our lives. Stories are the way our brains try to make sense of the world and our experience in it. But many times our stories can be incomplete or inaccurate. Have you ever had your kids come to you in an argument? Maybe one child comes tattling on a sibling and um, they have this whole story about how they're innocent, they didn't do anything, and the other person is completely to blame, right? I may or may not have heard a few of these stories in my day. And depending on the reaction our kids want from us, they may pick and choose which facts to keep in their story and which ones to leave out. And it's very likely that if you go and ask the other child involved in the argument for their version of the story, you'll probably hear some of the same facts, along with other facts added or omitted depending on what that child wants you to hear. There are always at least two sides to every story, right? And it's the same with the stories in your head. Another version of your story always exists. And this doesn't mean that you have to change your story. If the story you are telling about yourself and your life and the people in it serves you, great! keep telling it. But if there are areas of your life where you feel stuck or discouraged or lonely or resentful or annoyed or unmotivated or any other emotion you'd rather not be feeling, then it might be a good idea to take a look at how you are narrating your story. Because even though we think we're amazing storytellers and that we always tell the truth and only state the facts, we are not always the most accurate narrators of our lives. And the reason this is so important is because the way we narrate our lives determines what kind of experience we have in it and who we ultimately become. So as a coach, a big part of my job is to help people take a look at the stories they are telling and to gain some awareness of what those stories are creating in their lives. You could say that a big part of my job is helping people learn how to edit their stories. We've all heard of editors who review and revise books for publication. An editor's job is to evaluate and analyze the material they are given, and then to arrange or improve it to make it as appealing as possible for the intended audience. Sometimes a creator can be so enmeshed in their body of work that it's hard for them to spot the little spelling or grammatical or other errors in the text, right? But those things can make a big difference in the overall presentation and reception of their work. So that's where the editor, someone who is kind of removed from the process, the story, right, comes in to show the writer his or her blind spots to revise and correct and help turn that work into a masterpiece. 
And so taking a look at our stories and what they are creating in our lives is actually critical if we want to become more intentional creators of our lives. But editing our stories isn't always easy because changing our stories requires us to take a look inside and decide what we need to change. Many times my clients will find that the change they think they need is outside of them, right? That they need another character in their story, a spouse, a child, an in-law, a friend, a church leader, etc., to change. Because changing ourselves can feel hard or even scary, right? Even if we don't necessarily like where we are, we might be comfortable there. It's familiar, it's predictable, but it isn't always serving us or providing the experiences we want to be having in our lives. And the truth is, we can't make other people change, right? We might have influence, and we can certainly put in requests, but in the end, we cannot force anyone to be who or what we think they should be. Viktor Frankl said that when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. And part of changing ourselves means changing the stories that we are telling ourselves. Okay, so how do we do this? Well, from my experience, the very best way to expose your blind spots and get to the root of what's keeping you stuck in the same cycles and patterns is to come and get some coaching. So if you're interested in that, stay tuned, and I'll let you know how to come experience that for yourself at the end of this episode. But today, I'm going to give you three ideas that you can try out yourself um, to start the process of editing your own stories right now. Okay, so here we go. Idea number one for you to try. A little bit ago, I mentioned that there are always at least two sides to the same story, right? In fact, the more people involved in your story, the more versions there are likely to be. And because we narrate our own stories with the bias of our personal beliefs and agendas, I have found it helpful at times in my own life to question the story I'm telling myself by asking other people for their versions of the same story. And so I have seen this played out time and again in my own marriage. I tend to assume that I know exactly what my husband is thinking about me. And many times in our 26 years of marriage, I have interpreted something he said, his tone, his facial expressions, or his actions to mean that he isn't happy with me, or that he's disappointed in me, or that he doesn't think very highly of me. And I will come up with these big detailed stories in my head about what he said or did means and why he doesn't approve of me and how I have evidence from these 14 other instances to prove that he doesn't think I'm very smart or capable. And it doesn't stop there. Then I may have been known to take that story and hold it against him, which results in me feeling insecure or resentful, which in turn results in me showing up in ways in my marriage that I don't necessarily love. And so often, I will find out later in some roundabout way or another that my assumption was actually totally wrong. And so many of the critical things I thought my husband was thinking in his head about me were really just projections of my own inner conflicts and judgments and insecurities. And so instead of just assuming that I know what my husband or any other significant person in my life is thinking or feeling towards me, I found that it's better just to ask, to clarify. Because most of the time, I find that if I'm assuming it's something negative, I'm generally wrong. But if I did assume correctly and something really is going on, then instead of suffering in silence in my head, we can talk about whatever happened and problem solve it together. So hearing another person's point of view, getting a different version of the story can help to either alleviate my internal chatter about some perceived negative interaction, or it can help me better understand the situation from another person's perspective and figure out what I maybe did to cause hurt or offense, 
and then we can work together to write a new story about that situation moving forward that will benefit both of us. In his book, The Four Agreements, which is an awesome little book if you're looking for a good one to read, um, Don Miguel Ruiz had this to say about making assumptions in our stories. He said, we have the tendency to make assumptions about everything. The problem with making assumptions is that we believe they are the truth. We could swear they are real. We make assumptions about what others are doing or thinking. We take it personally. Then we blame them and react by sending emotional poison with our, with our word. All the sadness and drama you have ever lived in your life was rooted in making assumptions and taking things personally. He goes on to say, when we believe something, we assume we are right about it to the point that we will destroy our relationships in order to defend our position. We make the assumption that everyone sees life the way we do. We assume that others think the way we think, feel the way we feel, and judge the way we judge. So, what's the answer to all of this? Mr. Ruiz says that the way to keep yourself from making assumptions is to ask questions. Make sure communication is clear. If you don't understand, ask. Have the courage to ask questions until you are as clear as you can be. And even then, do not assume that you know all there is to know about a given situation. Once you hear the answer, you will not have to make assumptions because you will know the truth. I was actually talking to one of my daughters about this the other day. There was a certain situation recently where I was feeling really left out and overlooked and insignificant. And after wallowing in that for a few hours, I realized that all of my suffering was coming from assumptions that weren't even remotely true. And we kind of talked about how that story just seemed to be so real in my head. I had the facts and evidence to prove it, or so I thought. But I had actually interpreted those facts wrongly and attributed thoughts and feelings to other people that they didn't even have. The story I was telling myself felt so true, but it wasn't at all. And it was so interesting to see in real time how changing the story I was telling myself about the circumstance completely changed my feelings, my actions, and who I was in that experience without anyone or anything else having to change. Okay, idea number two, use your agency. When we're considering what kind of story we want to tell, it's possible to come to different conclusions using the same facts. And in reality, that's kind of the nature of life. It's full of people, experiences, circumstances that can be used as evidence to support the beliefs and stories our brains are trying to uphold. Either way, right? In a BYU devotional entitled Zoram and I, Getting Our Stories Straight, Professor David B. Paxman illustrated what he describes as choosing among competing truths, meaning that things happen in our lives and we get to use our agency to choose how we will interpret those circumstances and what we will see in them. Dr. Paxman gives the example of Zoram in the Book of Mormon. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, here's a really quick recap. Zoram is introduced in the first few chapters of 1 Nephi in the story of Nephi and his brothers going out on a dangerous mission to return to Jerusalem the city that they fled because the Lord told their father, the prophet Lehi, that it was no longer safe for them because of the great wickedness of the people living there. But not long after they left with their family, God told um, these boys to return to the city to retrieve the brass plates um, or the scriptural record from a man named Laban so that the sacred record could be preserved and passed down to their posterity. Well, their first two attempts to get the plates did not go very well, and so in their third attempt, God gave Nephi specific instructions, which ended up in Laban losing his life, 
and Nephi going into the treasury dressed as Laban to obtain the plates. Now, this is where Zoram, one of Laban's servants, comes in. He happens to be the one that Nephi approaches, and he asks Zoram to bring the plates and follow him outside of the city walls. Seeing Laban's clothing and not being able to distinguish Nephi's voice from Laban's, Zoram doesn't even question it. He just does as he is told. But as soon as he gets outside the gates of the city and sees Nephi's brothers, he knows something's up and he starts to panic. Nephi senses this and stops him from running, promising Zoram that if he does what they say, his life will be spared. He's also told that he, didn't, he doesn't need to be afraid and that God had commanded them to do this and that if he would go with them into the, into the wilderness, he would be a free man. And so Zoram made a promise back to them that he would go and stay with them from that time on. And it's at this point in the story that Dr. Paxman poses the question, will Zoram understand that he is the beneficiary of an extraordinary opportunity? Will he believe and be free even though he's being constrained to do so? Will he stay true to his oath, even though it was made under duress? Or will he bristle at being physically assaulted and forced to make a decision in unfair circumstances? Imagine the stories Zoram could tell his children and that later generations could tell each other. And so he goes on to give the two different stories that Zoram might tell. So the first one, he says, he could say, at first I thought I was caught in a trap, but in the longer view, my presence was planned and prepared for. When Ishmael and his family arrived, I was the extra male needed to marry a daughter of Ishmael. Out of all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, I was given a chance to live with a prophet's family, marry as an equal, and inherit the promised land along with them and on equal terms, even though my status in Jerusalem society would probably never have afforded me the opportunity to associate with them. I witnessed miracles as God brought us forth from Jerusalem to a promised land. More to the point, I learned about the true God and my place before him. We have been extraordinarily blessed. What I could see as a problem was actually the circumstance the Lord used to bless me and my posterity. Dr. Paxman goes on to say, or he could tell himself and his children, I went along because I had to, but the truth is they kidnapped me and hijacked my life. I had to leave behind a good job and my beloved family. I was in line to move up socially and even become a scribe. I never saw my mother again. I was forced to make a promise against my will, and I'll never know what I gave up. Not only that, my trust was abused. Nephi led me away knowing that I thought he was Laban. Because he led me on in error, he was a liar, and that's not what prophets do. I have no further obligation to him or his offspring. He said we would be free like them, but I've always felt different. Dr. Paxman says, as strange as it may seem, I assert that Zoram's story is like all of ours. He could see God's providence or man's manipulation. In conditions not of his choosing, he had to decide how to view himself and whether to nurse a justifiable grievance. He had to choose among the competing truths by which he could interpret his life. His choice would influence his posterity far into the future, and he had to do all this without fully understanding the situation. That's life. We all have circumstances we can control and many we can't. We mold our character and our view of life around the stories we tell ourselves about who we are and how these circumstances affect us. So I think this is the perfect example of utilizing our agency when telling our stories. We get to decide what we make our circumstances mean. And often, as Dr. Paxman stated, we have to use that agency to choose between competing truths. 
I did an exercise one time where I was asked to list all of the high and low points of my life. I think it referred to them as the positive and negative events that have happened over my lifetime. I then wrote all of the events down on a timeline in chronological order and then was told to look for a theme in what I'd learned from these experiences. And the theme or story that stood out to me was that God knows me and my needs better than I do and that he can make even the worst experiences work for my good. And that story, that meaning I attributed to those experiences changed the way that I view my past and the things that I thought were mistakes or not fair or shouldn't have happened. I can look back and see how God was weaving those experiences, the good and the bad, together to help me create the beautiful tapestry that is my life. And as I looked back over that timeline, I realized that I could use those events, those same events to tell a very different story if I wanted to. I could easily find evidence to support the ideas that my life was hard, that God didn't answer my prayers, that I've had a lot of things working against me, that other people have caused me a lot of pain and made things unfair for me. We could all do this, right? We all have competing truths in our lives, and it's our job to choose what we make them mean. We get to decide what beliefs we will use those truths to find evidence for. We will use the circumstances of our lives to tell a story of helplessness and negativity, or one of miracles and optimism and seeing God's hand. Again, the way we narrate the story of our lives determines what kind of experience we have and who we ultimately become. Okay, idea number three, and then we're done. Become the hero of your story. I don't know about you, but I spent a good part of my life feeling like I wasn't really in control of my story. I mean, I knew I had agency, but I understood that to mean that I could choose between right and wrong, like whether or not to do drugs or keep the law of chastity or lie or steal. (laughs) To me, that's what agency was. But I didn't really think about agency as a power to choose the kind of life I'd have or the experiences I wanted to create within that life. I think the best way to describe it was that I had a very fixed mindset, that I was just the way that I was, that my life circumstances were just the way that they were, and only sheer luck or God's intervention could change anything. I had a very fatalistic view of things. I really believed that my life was pretty much predetermined, and I didn't have much say in it, and that my job was to figure out exactly what God wanted me to do. Which actually kind of worked pretty well for me for the first, you know, little while of my life, first half of my life, because we kind of have this cultural script, right? And as long as we follow that script, we don't have to worry too much that we're getting off track with our decisions. So for me, that looked like graduating from high school, going to college and getting my degree, getting married, having kids, and devoting myself full-time to being a stay-at-home mom. But mixed in with all of those things that I was supposed to do were challenges. Things didn't always go according to plan. People didn't always act the way they were, quote, supposed to. (laughs) And God didn't always come through for me like I expected him to. Which led me to lots of conclusions or stories, if you will, about myself, about others, and even about God. I definitely told stories that questioned my own goodness or capability or worthiness. I told stories about others and the expectations I put on myself to please or manage everyone around me. And I told some pretty negative stories about God, that he wasn't as interested in my life as I thought he was, that he didn't think I had enough faith to answer my prayers, that I had disappointed him so many times that he couldn't trust me with important things. These were the kind of stories I told myself for years, 
And these stories eventually started to break me. That's about the point that I was when I realized that I was telling my stories from the standpoint of a victim. I remember the day it hit me so clearly that the stories I was telling myself, which I thought were just simply the facts, were not true. And they were keeping me stuck. They were keeping me from being the wife and mother and friend and church member and even the daughter of God that I wanted to be. I was playing the victim thinking that I didn't have control over any of it, but it was a lie and it was making me miserable. I decided that I was done with that. I decided that I was ready to take the role of hero in my story. I was tired of just taking what life threw at me and I was ready to become the creator of my life's experience. And of course this didn't happen overnight, but little by little I learned in each area of my life how to be more intentional about what kind of stories I was telling about my relationships, about myself and what I was capable of, about my time and energy, about my kids and my husband, about my interactions at church, about my home and my body, about the challenges that came my way, and about God and his involvement in my life. And as I changed my stories, I witnessed firsthand some pretty cool changes in my life. I love this thought from Donald Miller. He says, what if instead of writing our stories, God has invented the sunrise and sunset, the ocean and the desert, love and various forms of weather, and then handed us the pen to write the proverbial rest? What if we are much more responsible for the quality of our stories than we previously thought? What if any restlessness we feel about our lives is not in fact the fault of fate, but the fault of the writer themselves, and that writer is us? What if the broken nature of life is a fact, but the idea we can also create something meaningful in the midst of that brokenness is an equal fact? It seems to me that blaming myself is the most viable option. While that option may implicate me, it also offers me the most power to do something about it. So when we take responsibility for our stories, we give ourselves the permission and power to change them. Becoming the hero of your story means taking control of it. So what do you believe about the role you are playing in your story? Do you believe you are helpless, fearful, and a victim to your circumstances? Or do you see yourself as powerful and courageous and the hero of your story? The answer to that question will determine the results you are getting in your life. And I think this is probably my favorite thing about coaching. It has taken me from victim mode to hero mode over and over again. And we can do this work on our own, but from my own experience, um, working with my own coaches and helping my own clients, going through the process of editing our stories with a coach can get us those desired results more quickly and effectively. I've got one more quote from you from Donald Miller, and then I'll let you go. He says, if we are tired of life, what we're really tired of is the story we are living inside of. And the great thing about being tired of our story is that stories can be edited. Stories can be fixed. Stories can go from dull to exciting, from rambling to focused, and from drudgery to read to exhilarating to live. So if you would like some help editing your own stories, I'd encourage you to give coaching a try. If you've been considering it, maybe you've been sitting on the fence trying to decide if it would be a good option for you, the only way to find out is to come experience it for yourself. And if you feel that nudge and already know you want to take this work deeper, I would love to be your coach. You can sign up for a consultation at my website at AnnetteJonesLifeCoaching.com or come message me on Instagram at AnnetteJonesCoaching and I will take care of you. Thank you again for joining me today. I hope you all have a wonderful week and I will meet you back here again very soon. Bye, friends. 
If you like what you hear on this podcast and would like to learn more, I invite you to go to my website at AnnetteJonesLifeCoaching.com. There you can sign up for a free mini session where I'll help you see how the tools I teach on this podcast can be applied directly to your own personal challenges. You can also find information on classes I teach and get on my email list for a weekly dose of inspiration straight to your inbox. Again, that's AnnetteJonesLifeCoaching.com. I'll see you there.